Well, hey, good morning. Good morning, church. Good to be with you today. Hello, hello. Excited to be with you guys today. How are we doing this morning? Okay, doing good on this kind of a gray, cloudy day, but I'm excited to be in the house of God with you today. For those of you who are new or I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Joe Polino. I serve as a lead pastor here. I wanna welcome you to church. I will be leading our Discover Antioch um, uh, little, uh, it's not quite a class, it's a gathering to, show, uh, to tell you more about the church, help you get involved after the service. If you're new, would love to meet you uh, there. So as a church, this year in 2023, we have been praying this prayer. It's a, it's a paraphrase of Jesus's prayer for the church. We've been praying this prayer. What is this prayer? Do you guys know it by now? God make, someone said it, God make us one with you. God make us one with one another so that the world will know who Jesus is. Okay, so I think we have a slide of it even. That God would make us one with him. God would make us one with you. Make us one with one another so that the world will know who Jesus is. So that's what our goal is this year. And since Jesus prayed this, we think it's important, and we actually think that he wants us to lean into this as the church. This is our identity, that we would be one with him and one with one another, and we believe it can actually happen. That seems kind of far-fetched, but if Jesus is praying it, I wanna, you know, I wanna tag on my prayers to his prayers because I believe those are gonna happen. So that is what we've been doing, and as we've been going through it, the way that we're pursuing this prayer is we've been going through the book of Ephesians or the letter of Ephesians. And Ephesians uh, has six chapters in it. And the first chapter and a half is all about our union with God or our relationship with God, our oneness with Him. And then the next chapter and a half is all about our oneness with each other, our communion with each other, our, our uh, relationship. And then the last three chapters are how do we actually live in light of that? So we have finished the first chapter and a half, but before going on to the next part, we are slowing down to do an identity in Christ practice. Practice, okay? So we talked about this last week. Encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you wanna hear more details about what the practice is. But in summary, Jesus said that the end of the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples, that it's not those who just hear my teaching that are wise, but it's those who hear my teaching and put it in the practice. That person is like a, a home builder that builds their house on a solid rock. But if you just hear the message, if you just come to church, if you just read the Bible, if you just listen to the podcast or go to the conference, hey, that's half of it. But the next part is put it into practice if you wanna be wise. Okay, so who wants to be wise here? Okay, we got some hands raised. Mark, there you go, your first one. You are a wise person. Yes, you are. So we wanna be wise. So we actually wanna slow down and actually contemplate and think about what does it mean to have our identities be in Christ? Now, in Christ is the most common expression used in the Bible to describe a Jesus follower. It's about 91 times in the New Testament, the phrase in the Lord or in Him or in Christ or over 160 times total and just in comparison, the word Christian is only found three times in the Bible. So the word in Christ is actually much more descriptive of who we are called to be. So what does that actually mean for us? 
Well, here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna do a practice. Did anyone not receive a bookmark yet last Sunday? Last Sunday, okay. We will get you a bookmark. I'll get you a bookmark. These bookmarks on the one side, they go through, hey, how do we actually practice our identity in Christ? And there's some prompts to questions that start with, number one, we wanna read scripture. What does scripture say about our identity? Number two, we wanna receive God's truth. What truth about my identity in Christ do I need to receive today? And then the next step is number three, I wanna reject lies that are opposite of this about my identity. God, what lie about my identity do I need to reject? And then the fourth one is to repeat daily. And whatever God has shown you in the scripture, you say, Father, thank you that I am fill in the blank in Christ and I reject the lie that I am fill in the blank. I receive this today and trust in you. So that's our practice. Who has actually been doing that this week? Awesome. We got a few people, but hey, we're doing it for six weeks. So I hear it's like three weeks, right, to make a new habit. So we're doubling that. So hey, you get a plenty of runway to jump in, okay? We can also go online because on the back of this bookmark is a cheat sheet to see, hey, what actual truths about my identity in Christ are there and where are the scripture references? It's a true cheat sheet because cheat sheet, it's a very small print. Not that I would ever uh, do such a thing in junior high with math formulas or whatnot, but just very small. So you can also go online on our website as a digital copy if you uh, find that more helpful. But I shared with you last week that looking at our identities is not something that we often do. And in fact, it's, it's, but it's foundational to everything that we are, but it's rarely examined unless something goes wrong. And uh, it's, our identity is much like a foundation in a house, right? So last week, I shared that our family is in the process of moving. We bought a new house. Uh, we are in the process of buying a new house and selling our current house, okay? So we're very excited. It's been a, a long journey, but we are in that contingency period or that pending period. And so here's a picture of our house. We have tried really hard to just keep the updates of our house, uh, get, give it curve appeal, uh, renovate it. But the most important part of our house is actually the foundation. So this past week we had an inspection and I was curious what are they gonna find underneath our house? Cause only the Lord knows what's under there. And do y'all wanna know the results? Got a drum roll please. There we go. The drum roll is our foundation is mixed results. Hey! Kind of a bummer, but hey, great sermon illustration, which is my life. So here we go. So foundation was actually pretty good, but they did find some small leaks in the pipes underneath our house, which I had, no, there's no way to know that that happened because they were just small enough to not really make that much of a difference. So when I got the inspection report, we were a little disappointed so I did what I have not done in seven years of living at my house. I got into the crawl space. And I was like, I gotta see this for myself. You can judge me if you want. I might be a bad homeowner, but I was like, it is time. I'm going under the crawl space. So as I'm going under there, it was dark. It was uncomfortable. I, realized, I remembered that I am slightly claustrophobic. So I was you know, trying to breathe deeply, but I did see the leak and I think we'll be able to take care of it and everything 
will be just fine. But, you know, just thinking in comparison for us today, you know, unless something is wrong, looking at your identity almost feels inconvenient to slow down and actually think about, okay, do I need to think about this today when I have all this other stuff going on? But I just felt pressed that if we don't stop as a church to contemplate what we have actually received in Jesus Christ at a foundational level, we will not be able to give it away to others, right? If we don't stop to contemplate what we've actually received in Christ at a foundational level, we won't be able to give it away to others. And there are also lies that drip into our foundation that if left unchecked will erode identity in Christ and tell us a false narrative of who God is or where true freedom is from, but will only lead to bondage. So I think this is really a key part of what God's building in our church. Like this is a brick that he's putting in as we're slowing down to look at our identity in Christ. So we need to slow down and have God do an inspection on our identity. Okay, now to read scripture, receive God's truth and reject lies, that's what we're gonna do. But on Sundays, we're gonna look at an aspect of our identity in Christ. So here's what we're gonna look at today. Today, the topic is that we're gonna look at in Adam, all die, but in Christ, all will be made alive. So we're gonna look at the contrast of, okay, if we are in Christ, what was, what, who were we in before we were in Adam? And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, that in Adam all die, but in Christ all were made alive. And so that is my sermon in a sentence, in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. And I have two points today, not three. So you can praise God for that. So first point is, guess what? In Adam, I'll die. There you go. Can you guess what my second point is? In Christ, all will be made alive. So if you have trouble remembering my sermon, just turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and read what it says, because that's it. But the way we're gonna do this, we're actually going to get into the crawl space of scripture. We're gonna go all the way back to the beginning. So please turn with me to Genesis 3. We're gonna go back to the foundation, back to the original origin story. If we're going to understand why in Adam all die, we gotta go back to the beginning. So as you're turning there to summarize, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. So this creation narrative describes God creating the world from a dark, chaotic void into something beautiful, intricate, intricately ordered, and good. The heavens and the earth are built through God speaking into existence day after day after day. And in this setting, it says that God actually in Genesis 2 gets in the dirt and makes man and woman to be created in his image like God. Let us make man in our image. And they are made to rule over this creation. They are meant to fill the earth, to cultivate it, and to be blessed by their creator. To be blessed is to be spoken well of or made happy. It says blessed. That is the, that's the beginning of creation. But then in Genesis 2, is an important note before we read Genesis 3. It says, the Lord God took man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die, okay? So they, 
Adam and Eve are created and put into the Garden of Eden. There is one tree that they can't eat of. The rest, they are free to eat from any tree that they desire. So that is the background of Genesis 3. So join with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 115. Uh, and it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along as well. So beginning in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some, some fruit from the tree and I ate it. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is God's word. So first point, as we are looking at this, in, in Adam all die, what does this mean for our identity? So we're gonna go back through this and understand what just happened. So in Genesis chapter three, which is often called the doctrine of original sin or the fall of man. In the Hebrew, Adam means human and Eve means life, okay? So they were made in the image of God as the first humans and they reflect his character and they rule the earth and they were blessed, which means that God spoke well of them and said it was very good when he created them. And Eden was a garden created specifically for them. It was literally heaven on earth where God was in relationship with them. They had meaning. And so here's what their identities were in Eden. If you can pull up that slide, there you go. So they were spiritually and physically alive. They had safety and security. There was union with God or, or shalom. There was nothing in between them and God. They were one flesh with each other. They had communion with each other and there was meaning and purposeful work. That is what we were made for. And those are the longings inside of all of us, whether we recognize them or not. That's, that's what 
you know, whether you call it the rat race or whatever you're striving for, these five things or so, it's not an exhaustive list, but going back to Eden is what we long for. So what happened? Well, it says a serpent appears who gets little introduction. We don't know where he comes from, except that we know that he's crafty, crafty, okay? So his first question to Eve is, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which the first lesson that many people teach their children is to not talk to strangers. I think talking snakes would apply as well, probably avoid that. But, you know, he's, he's asking this question that might seem innocent at first. Hey, did God really say that? But you can even see he's slanting his question in a way that presents God as stingy or holding back. He said, did, you re- you, did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so Eve responds correctly that, no, that's not true. She says that there is one tree we cannot eat from, but then adds that we must not even touch it, which isn't what God said, but hey, that's not a bad principle there. So then the serpent says this in verse four. He said that God is lying. He says in verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this is ironic because they're made in the image of God. So they're already like God, but the serpent's like, no, you're not really like God until you eat this fruit. So it says in verse six, what happens next? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay. So now we're gonna get into a little bit of how does this in Adam all die apply? Well, Adam is in many ways a representative head or a king over the human race. If you notice whenever, uh, whenever they were hiding because they were ashamed and they're naked, God called out to the man, where are you? That even though they were made in God's image as male and female and made to be one together, that there was a leadership role put on Adam and a responsibility for him to take care of the garden with Eve and for them to be one flesh, okay? So Adam, if you go to the next slide, Adam was that representative king. So in Adam, he was made to rule over the creatures of the earth, to steward it. He was placed in the Garden of Eden to take care of it and to take care of, uh, not take care of Eve, but to be in one flesh together, working together to cultivate the garden and then to live in freedom under God's blessing. So that's what he was made to do, but here's what Adam did instead. Adam, instead of ruling over the creation, had the creation rule over him, the serpent ruled over him. He did not protect the garden or Eve but instead he let Eve go first just to see what would happen. Because it said that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. So really he was aware of what was going on. So he willfully disobeyed God's orders and rebelled against him he, to live apart from him. And he, instead of uh, enjoying that loving command, he received the lie. So in many ways, Adam, I think, is, is even worse of a situation than Eve. So what are the consequences of this? We'll go to the next slide. Well, instead of being spiritually alive, they're spiritually dead. They're put outside of the garden. They're still physically alive, but spiritually dead. But they will physically die eventually. Adam lived a long life of 930 years is what it says in scripture, but that's where death entered in. 
And then there's hiding from God. They're separated from God. They're covering themselves with fig leaves of guilt and shame. So guilt is where you know you've done something wrong and you feel bad about it. Shame is when you feel like there's something wrong with you and you, there's nothing you can do. And so they're covering up with fig leaves and then they are fighting with each other. Adam is blaming Eve and it later goes on to say that they're gonna compete for control and power in their own marriage, in their own relationship. And we just get to see this play out. So our identity in Adam is that we're spiritually dead and that we are afraid. The most common command, the most repeated command in scripture is fear not. Now, how many of you know that we need to fight negative emotions of fear and anxiety in our life, right? That's a direct result of being in Adam that there are, there are way more negative thoughts, anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts that come because of the curse, because of us being spiritually dead. And the other thing is that we're searching for meaning and purpose. Many of us were like, I wanna make my mark. I wanna make an eternal purpose because we're racing against the clock and we're afraid of death, right? I think I'm drilling home my point that in Adam all died. That is what it's talking about, the foundation and it's important for us to know the foundation, to know the remedy, right? So in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, it says, for since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all will be made alive. Man, so I just wanna point something out here. You know, when I first read this passage, when I was, um, learning about my faith. I remember just as a, I was in my youth, probably in my teenage years, I just remember this feeling this was unfair. Like, why is Adam's uh, sin put to me? Like, why is it imputed to me? Like, I didn't do anything wrong. So why am I, like, I'm innocent until proven guilty, right? Like, I, how, how is this, how is this fair? And, uh, you know, in my youthful zeal, I was like, you know what, God, that seems, that seems unjust. I don't know about that. And the older I get, the more I realize is that I'm pretty sure that if I was put in the garden with one tree, I would do the exact same thing. Because in many ways, we, being sons and daughters of Adam, have all fallen short in some way. And I don't think anyone would argue that. I think we all know that no one is perfect. We've all fallen short. But in us, in that, uh, in being like Adam, that, uh, man, that, sorry, I lost my place. Just being in Adam, that um, we feel like that's unfair, but, <laughs> but what I realized is that over time that I have actually committed sin after sin after sin, and that, man, I also have taken part in it. It's not just Adam. It's just not, it's not just his head. Like I also in Christ, I, mean, I also in Adam have sinned, right? And so, um, and so what do we do with that? I shared last week this analogy of a football analogy. I love football. So Dr. Tony Evans gave this example of, you know, in a, in a football game, if an offensive player jumps off sides, is that one offensive player penalized or is the whole team penalized? The whole team is penalized. But I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, if you jump off sides in a game, you get a five-yard penalty. It seemed like Adam jumped off sides and he got the portal of all evil was entered into our world. Like it seems a little bit extreme, right? So I was thinking instead, 
It's more like this part where Adam and Eve sin is more like the injection point of the sin and the poison that enter into the world and brokenness that then affected every child after that, if that makes sense. And so for us today, man, I just would say, what is our hope? Where, where do we go from here? And that brings me to my second point, which is the second part, that in Christ, all will be made alive. Now, what I wanna point out here is that in Genesis chapter three, another th- question that I hear often and that I've thought about It's like, man, God, they messed up one time. Like if my child messes up one time, I'm not gonna banish them, you know? I'm not gonna send them out into the backyard to fend for themselves and say, you know, I'm gonna put two cherubim on the backyard. Like, hey, you can't come in, sorry. Like, well, for one, I'm not holy like God. But, But two, the character of God is displayed as you follow throughout the story. So here are a few things for you to consider that even though God sounds harsh, he was abundantly generous with them by giving them any fruit of the garden that they wanted. But why did he put the one fruit in there? I mean, the one tree in there. He did not create robots to obey him, but he created people to love him and to love one another. And that means choosing their own, on their own to love him and trust him. He did not dominate them, but he actually entrusted them with a lot, probably more than I would entrust my kids with like a whole lot, a whole world to fill and to, and, and to cultivate. It's a big responsibility. When they were poisoned with sin and death by the fruit, it says that they were moved from the Eden like heaven on earth. But it says that God actually did the first sacrifice and covered over their, their nakedness with an animal skin, giving the first indication of sacrifice to come. And it says that God, even though they couldn't enter into Eden, God pursued them into the wilderness. God follows them out of the garden and he pursues mankind. And he does this, and we know this because in Genesis 3.15, this is the, the prophecy that he gives. He says that I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. This offspring will crush the head of the snake and the snake will strike his heel. Kind of interesting, kind of like this mutual destruction happening of, okay, the the offspring is gonna crush the head of the serpent, but he's also going to be struck himself. So what is he talking about here? Well, to fast forward a whole lot of scripture, there's over 300 prophecies that talk about this Messiah, this offspring, this seed that's gonna come. And so when we say Christ, when you say you are in Christ, you're saying that you are in Messiah, So say Messiah. So you are in Messiah. If you believe in Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you are in Messiah. Now we say these words a lot, but just to kind of break it down, if you say Lord Jesus Christ, what that actually is, is Yahweh, Joshua, Messiah. Kind of interesting, huh? So Jesus was a common name back then of Yeshua, Joshua. So Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He is the king. So sometimes you'll see that scripture emphasizes king first. It'll say Christ Jesus, King Jesus. Other times it'll be Jesus, the king, right? So all throughout scripture, God is saying the king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. He first speaks to Abraham and says, through your beloved son, Isaac, the whole earth is gonna be blessed. The whole earth 
is gonna be blessed. And so there's this seed, this Abraham, that in Isaac, this family is gonna bless all the nations of the earth. And then one of, uh, one of Isaac's children, Jacob, becomes Israel. Israel has Judah, says that there's gonna be a king through your line that's gonna reign forever. And they think it might be David. David is one who has the character, is he the Messiah? But we find out David is just like Adam. He's just a child of Adam. He cannot overcome the sin inside of us as a human race. And he suffers, but it says that someone in David's line will come someday. And then the prophet Isaiah says that this, this anointed king is also going to suffer, that by his stripes, by his wounds, we are gonna be healed. And so all this put together, when Jesus arrives, he fulfills all the prophecies of his birth, of his ministry, and of his resurrection. And so Jesus Christ is the second Adam, okay? So here's what Jesus Christ accomplished. So God used to meet with Adam and Eve in the garden and the risen Jesus Christ, oh, sorry, first Adam, sorry. So Jesus Christ is a second Adam. First Adam selfishly rebelled by taking, by taking a fruit from a tree, but Jesus instead takes the curse on himself and he climbs up into a tree on our behalf. So then thorns were a result of the curse. He puts on a crown of thorns. Okay, so here's the king who's going to crush the head of the serpent, but also be struck himself. It says that Adam and Eve met God in a garden. The first place that the risen Christ encounters Mary is in a garden. And then you see that you know, in, in creation, God breathes on man. God breathes on Adam and Eve to bring them life. And then when he comes to disciples, he breathes on them. Okay, he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So this is where we say that we are in Adam, no longer, but we are in Christ. It's a big deal, y'all, big deal. I know this is a kind of a theological, like going under the crawl space to see what, what have we actually received. But if you think about it, you know, even in this cultural moment right now, and even looking at the past centuries um, of, of just all of the technological advances that we have and the education and even the history examples that are not that far back to pull from. And we just keep seemingly as a human race to repeat the sins of our fathers and mothers. And, 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 and even with all of these advancements, which technology is, is, is a part of actually our creative call, I think, to uh, fill the earth and to subdue it, but we use it in a way that actually instead of bringing life and flourishment under the Lordship of God, it actually brings more anxiety. It brings more selfishness. It brings more competition. It brings you know, more, more division. And if you think about it, the whole human race is divided. Either you are in Adam or you are in Christ. That there are some beautiful differences in the ways that we're made, but race, actually that word is a pretty recent uh, development in the last few centuries to point out differences in our, in our skin color or differences of the way we look. But all of it traced back, you can do this scientifically, comes back to Adam and Eve as our parents. We're in Adam or we are in Christ. And if you think about it, some of the great stories that we love, man, this theme of a, of a curse that is turned over, if, here's the question, if by one man, a curse can come to many, can the opposite be true? Can through one man a blessing come through? 
So if you think about Star Wars fans out there, who was the first chosen one? Anakin Skywalker, but he chose the dark side. He's Adam in this case, right? So Luke Skywalker, the chosen one, comes through and chooses uh, instead to go the way of balancing the force or good. I mean, that story is captivating because in many ways, that's the true story of what we're living into, right? Lord of the Rings with Tolkien, a seal door, grab the ring instead of destroying it. But Aragorn is the one true king who's coming to reverse the curse. And even for parents in the room, frozen, you think about Princess Elsa and Anna, whose grandfather created an egregious sin that created a curse over the whole land, but they have to go atone for that in order to bring the blessing back. I mean, you just think about it, it's all over the place, but this is true, y'all. This is true. And this is why with so much frequency, Paul is saying over and over again, you are in Christ, no longer in Adam. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he erupts and says, for anyone who is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. You're a new creation. And church, if we don't understand this, then we won't understand what's the big deal about Jesus? What's the big deal about sin? What is the solution? And we'll just continue to be wrapped up in our identity of anxiety, of fear, of being separate from God. And I don't want that for us. Now, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about this. Uh, how can I illustrate this? And if you can go ahead and pull up the picture of me when I was a teenager. So my siblings gave me a hard time at Easter because I gave a picture of our family that put me in a good light, but my uh, siblings were in an awkward phase in their development. So this is a little bit more awkward phase. I'm probably about 14. But in this picture, I am actually at Ellis Island in New York City. And I am pointing to one of my ancestors, uh, no joke, from Italy, who came over named Luigi Polino. Okay, legit, Luigi Polino. So he came over, um, uh, you know, I, I don't, like probably late 1800s, maybe early 1900s, from Italy into the United States. And I was just thinking about that. Why did he come over? And I actually am not sure why, but I do know that at that point, for people who lived in Italy, that your options were limited. You either needed to take over the family business. So if you were a cobbler, you needed to be a cobbler or you could become a priest or a soldier. If you wanna do something else than that, the culture really didn't leave room for that too much because you had to be a part, like the family was everything. And there wasn't a lot of opportunity. So I don't know fully the story, but I know Luigi at great cost to himself moved his entire family over from Italy across the Atlantic into the United States so that some of those limitations put on him would not be present in the United States. And I just thought about like the, the, when you transfer over from being in one place to the next, how sad is it if he was to still live with that mindset of the only thing that me and my children can do is either become a priest, a soldier, or whatever trade that is, but not actually take advantage of the benefits and the freedom that were provided in this new country, right? And I think for us, so often we are left in a place of being in Adam and we are we are in a different country, we are moved over, right? But we are not living in the reality of who we are in Christ. And so I want us to actually uh, reap the benefits of the lengths to which God went to move you from death 
to life, from cursed to blessing, from, uh, from rejected to chosen. Amen? Amen. So what is true of Christ is also true of us. Christ's victory is your victory because he is your head and he is your king. Christ's resurrection is the first fruit of your resurrection to come. That is a hope worth celebrating. Christ's crucifixion is also your crucifixion. You're dead to sin as well. Christ is God's son, and so you are also receiving sonship. Christ received God's blessing, so you also are receiving Christ's blessing. Blessing. That is a foundation, y'all, that no matter where you are, up or down in your week, that is true of you. That is positional. That is identity in Christ, truth for you to receive. So just as we close, just a few things for us to consider. Number one, as you're thinking about, man, in Adam to in Christ, maybe one of your responses is just to say, God, thank you. God, thank you that even though for me that I was a part of Adam's rebellion and I sin that you have covered over all of my sin, past, present, future, and now Christ is at my head. I'm actually attached to him. Thank you, God. So in a moment, we're gonna thank God through worship and singing. Another response is that maybe you have lies that you need to reject. Maybe you have a leaky foundation like my house right now. In fact, I will say all of us have lies that we need to reject. I do. I think that's why we're going through this is to identify, okay, where are there leaks in my life? Where am I not fully receiving the love of God? Where am I not receiving the righteousness of God in Christ, right? And to live like we are in Christ, not like we are in Adam. To not live like a Luigi Polino who comes over and then is like, I'm gonna still you know, hey, I'm, at least I'm in the United States, but this is as good as it's gonna get. It's not as good as it's gonna get, y'all. It's better. It's go more and more and more. We can live into this identity in Christ. And then the last one is in this room is that there might be people here that need to just surrender to Jesus. Just surrender to Jesus and say, I, I have never made a decision to ask for God's forgiveness in my life and to follow him. In Romans 10, 9, says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And it's that proclamation of faith. In a a few weeks, we're gonna have baptisms, Lord willing. And we'd love to just see that picture of how we go from in Adam to being buried with Christ, to be raised to life and to celebrate our new life in him. And maybe that is you today. Maybe you need to make that decision to say, yes, today is the day that I want to put my faith in Christ. And we wanna celebrate that with you. We wanna pray with you for that. And so uh, in a moment, we're gonna respond. If I can call the band up, but if y'all would all bow your heads with me and pray. It's just on that, that last point of surrendering to Jesus and just seeing him as the second Adam, seeing him as the rescuer, seeing him as the one who comes through and maybe you identify with some of the anxiety or fears or a f- fear of death or you just something that is like, I know I need God. And I just showed up here today or I was invited today or I've been coming for a while and today's the day. And you can just pray this prayer. It just says this, you declare with your mouth, Jesus, I believe you are the Christ. You're the Lord. I believe that you are the one that you say that you, that you are. And I, I wanna surrender my life 
to you. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I wanna follow you all of my days. It's just that declaration of faith. If you've made that today, then you are a new creation. You are born again that the Holy Spirit comes and breathes on you. And we want to know about that and celebrate with you. But Lord, we pray God for everyone in this room, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time, that we would surrender afresh and celebrate all that you've done in Christ. Lord, we love you today. We give all this, we we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you can go ahead and stand and we'll have our prayer and prophetic team up here. And I would just say, if there's one of those prompts that just sticks out to you, just say, hey, there's something going on in my life. I just need someone to agree with me in prayer for Jesus as the head to give me what I need to overcome in this situation. Or maybe it's a lie that you've believed. You say, I just need someone to partner with me to pray for that. Maybe there's physical healing that you need. And we wanna agree in prayer for that. Or maybe it's like, hey, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna get my life right with God. And we would love to pray with you as well. But if there's anything else I didn't mention, just encourage you to respond. This is why we come to church. This is who we are. We take steps. That's who we are at Antioch Dallas. We wanna be people who don't just listen to the word, but we practice what we hear. So let's worship, let's sing, let's respond.